0: Chapter Eighteen of the Junior Classics, Volume Eight Animal and Nature Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Junior Classics, Volume Eight Animal and Nature Stories. Edited by William Patton. Peter a cat of one tail by Charles Morley Peter the admirable cat whose brief history I am about to relate appeared in the world on a terrible winter's night a fierce snowstorm was raging The sleet was driving at a terrific rate through the air and the streets were banked up with snowdrifts all traffic had been stopped the roar of London was hushed and every one who had the merest pretence of a fireside sought it on this memorable occasion. It was a wild night in the city, a wild night in the country, a wild night at sea, and certainly a most unpropitious night for the birth of a cat, an animal which is always associated with home and hearth. The fact remains that Peter was born on the night of one of the most terrible storms on record. Our chairs were drawn up to the fire the tea things were on the table and my mother was just about to try the strength of the brew When Anne Tibbets, our faithful and well-tried maid of all work bounced into the room without knocking at the door Her cap was all awry her hair was disheveled and she gasped for breath as she addressed herself to my mother thus in spasms Please ma'am the cat has put her kittens in your bonnet such a breach of discipline had never been known before in our prim household where there was a place for everything and everything had a place. My mother pushed her spectacles onto her forehead and looking severely at Anne said, Which one, Anne, my summer bonnet or my winter bonnet? The one with a fur lining, ma'am. And a most comfortable bonnet to live in, I'm sure, replied my mother sarcastically. As much as to say that she wished all cats had such a choice under the circumstances. Another cat would have chosen the one with the lace and the violets out of sheer perverseness. But there, I knew I could depend on a cat which had been trained in my house. My mother poured out a cup of tea, betraying no agitation as she dropped two lumps of sugar into the cup, her customary allowance, and helped herself to cream. In a minute or two however she took up her knitting and I noticed that two stitches in succession were dropped a Sure sign that she was perturbed in spirit Suddenly my mother turned her eyes to the fire How many Anne she continued addressing our faithful servant who still remained standing at the table awaiting her orders? seven ma'am Seven cried my mother Seven it's outrageous. Why my bonnet wouldn't hold em Three in the bonnet, ma'am, and two in your new muff. My new muff cried my mother. I knew you were keeping something back, and the stitches dropped fast and furious. That's only five, Anne, she continued, looking up from her work. Where are the other two? I insist upon knowing. In the Alaska tail boa, ma'am, responded Anne timidly. Slowly, my mother's wrath evaporated and her features settled down to their ordinary aspect of composure. Well, she said, it might have been worse. She might have put them in my silk dress. But there, it is evident that something must be done. I'm a kind woman, I hope, but I'm not going to be responsible for seven young and tender kittens. And Tibbets, England expects every woman to do her duty. All? Oh, asked Anne. Four. Replied my mother. Now asked Anne. The sooner the better, said my mother. At this moment, a sudden blast shook every window in the house, which seemed to be in momentary danger of a total collapse. Not fit to turn a dog out, murmured my mother. Not fit to turn a dog out. Oh, how cold it is! And here am I condemning to death four poor little kittens on a night like this to snatch them away from their warm mother my muff and alaska tail and dip them in a bucket of ice-cold water and yet they must go but anne i've an idea warm the water they shall leave the world comfortably they'll never know it the faithful unemotional anne carried out her instructions peter was one of the three kittens which were born in my mother's fur-lined bonnet and the white marks on his body always reminded me of the terrible snowstorm in the midst of which he sounded his first mew. After several weeks, the liberty which our cat Cordelia had taken with my mother's finery was forgotten, and the household had settled down to its usual humdrum routine. Tibbets had made the new arrivals a bed in the little box room, and the doctor declared that Mrs. Cordelia was doing as well as could be expected. Every morning we had to ask the usual question. How is Cordelia? Quite well. Thank you and the kittens also quite well In due course Anne brought the welcome news that the three kittens had opened their eyes and the kid glove was at once Detached from the knocker of the front door It was on the morning after they had obtained their blessed sight that I was invited by civets to go downstairs and take my choice I went down, but I could see nothing of the kittens. There was only Cordelia, with tail twisting, eyes aflame, and whiskers bristling, wheeling round and round a number of straw cases in which champagne had once been packed. Lo, one of the cases began to walk. The movement caught Cordelia's eye, and she knocked it over with her paw. A fluffy, chubby kitten, consisting of a black body with a patch of white on it, was revealed. The little one so captivated my fancy that I put him in my pocket and without more ado took him upstairs and publicly announced my determination to claim him as my property What shall we name it asked my mother? Fizz said one alluding to the empty champagne cases a Suggestion which was at once overruled as we were a temperate family and little given to sparkling liquids pop was also voted against, not only as being vulgar, but as going to the other extreme, and leading people to suppose that we were extensively addicted to ginger ale. I think, my dears, as Peter was born on a. My mother's speech was interrupted by an exultant cock a doodle doo. That horrid fowl again! exclaimed my mother. The cock in question was the property of a neighbour, and was a most annoying bird. Even my kitten was disturbed by the defiant note. Mew said he in a meek interrogative, as much as to say, What is that dreadful noise? Cock a doodle doo cried the bird again. Mew replied the kitten, this time with a note of anger in his voice. Cock a doodle screamed the bird, evidently in a violent temper. Mew said the kitten again. In a tone of remonstrance, the remaining syllable of his war cry and the kitten's reply were cut short by my mother, who put her fingers to her ears and said, And the cock crowed thrice. My dears, I have it. What, mother? We'll call him Peter, cried the family. Peter gray? Peter simple? Peter the great? No, replied my mother with a humorous twinkle peter the apostle pointing to the family bible which was always kept on a little occasional table in a corner of the sitting-room and let peter be a living warning against fibbing my dears whether on a small scale or a large one a bowl of water was then placed on the table and having sprinkled a shower upon his devoted back i as his proprietor looking at him closely cried arise peter obey thy master In the middle of my exhortations however Cordelia jumped on the table took little peter by the scruff of his neck and carried him back to the nursery The day came when I put peter into the pocket of my overcoat and took him away to his new home I had the greatest confidence in him being a firm believer in the doctrine of heredity His father I never knew but his grandfather bore a great reputation for courage as was indicated on his tombstone the inscription on which ran as follows Here lies lear, aged about eight years, a tom-cat killed in single combat with Tom the Templar, whilst defending his hearth and home. England expects every cat to do his duty. His mother Cordelia was of an affectionate nature, caring little for the chase, indifferent to birds except sparrows, temperate to the matter of fish, timid of dogs a kind mother and had never been known to scratch a child I believed then that there was every possibility of peter's inheriting the admirable qualities of his relatives The world into which he was introduced contained a large assortment of curios Which I had bought in many a sales room such as bits of old oak bits of armor bits of China bits of tapestry and innumerable odds and ends which had taken my fancy Picture then peter drinking his milk from a crown derby dish Which I had placed in a corner between the toes of a gentleman's skeleton whom time had stained a tobacco brown The crown derby dish and the skeleton were like the rest of my furniture bargains At this period of his life Peter resembled a series of irregular circles Such as a geometrician might have made in an absent moment two round eyes one round head one round body i regarded him much as a young mother would her first baby for he was my first pet i Watched him lest he should get into danger i conversed with him in a strange jargon which i called cat's language i played with him constantly and Introduced him to a black hole behind the skeleton's left heel which was supposed to be the home of mice he kept a close watch on the black hole and one day which is never to be forgotten he caught his first mouse it was a very little one but it clung to peter's nose and made it bleed regardless of the pain peter marched up to me tail in air and laid the half-dead mouse at my feet with a look in his eyes which said plainly enough shades of caesar i claim a triumph master he returned to the black hole again and mewed piteously for more Peter was very green as you will understand But he soon discovered that mewing kept the mice away and having taken the lesson to heart Preserved silence for the future The mouse hunts occupied but a small portion of Peter's time He was full of queer pranks which youth and high spirits suggested to him He took a delight in tumbling down the stairs He hid himself in the mouth of a lion whose head was one of my chief treasures He tilted against a dragon candlestick like a young st. George He burnt his budding whiskers in an attempt to discover the source of the flame in the wick of the candle He became too a great connoisseur of vases ornaments and pictures sitting before them and examining them for an hour at a time He was also very much given to voyages of discovery Dark continents having a peculiar fascination for him Even the lion's mouth had no terror for him. I once produced him from the interior of a brand-new top hat like a conjurer an omelette Again, we were very much surprised at breakfast one morning to see Peter walk out of a rabbit pie in which he had secreted himself I Used to let my canary fly about the room and Peter chased him The canary flew to an old helmet on a shelf and thus baffled Peter The canary seemed to know this for when peter was in the room. He always flew to the helmet and sang in peace If he perched elsewhere there was a chase The linnet's cage I placed on the window-sill in sunny weather and peter took great interest in him He could not see the musician But he heard the music and tried every means he knew to discover its source At last he peeped through a little hole at the back of the cage And when he saw the bird he was quite satisfied and made no attempt to disturb it in the matter of eating and drinking Peter was inclined to Vegetarianism being fond of beetroot and cabbage But he soon took to carnal habits always liking his food to be divided into three portions consisting of greens potatoes and meat In addition to such food as we gave him he by no means despised any delicacies he could discover on his own account For instance he cleaned out a pot of glycerin Having tilted the lid up he pulled out the pins from a pincushion, but was saved in time He was curious about a powder box and came mewing downstairs a peter in white He did not despise the birds out of a hat He lost his temper when he saw his rival in the looking-glass and was beside himself with rage when the glass swung round And he saw only a plain board his most curious experience was his first glimpse of the moon which he saw from our bit of back garden He was rooted to the ground with wonder at the amazing sight, and we called him in vain The only reply was a melancholy Love-stricken mew which went to my heart So Peter rejoiced in the days of his youth and there was no end to his frolics But do not think for a moment that his education was neglected Especially in the invaluable matters of manners and deportment both of which are so essential to advancement in life I taught him to sit at table to enter a room with grace and to leave it with dignity Indeed I spared no trouble and Peter became as rigorous as a Chesterfield in the proper observance of all such matters I Can give you no better example of Peter's extensive knowledge of what was right and wrong in the ceremonial side of life than by telling you that when he felt an irrepressible sneeze forming, he trotted out of the room and sneezed outside. When Peter played, too, he played gently and did not disturb his elders by obtrusive attentions. He never required to be told twice to do a thing. Once was enough for Peter. Then again, in the matter of breakages, he was as virtuous a kitten as ever lived. I had thirty precious blue china vases on my sideboard and through this fragile maze Peter always wound in and out without moving a vase. His virtues in this respect were well known to my servants, who never accused Peter of breaking the milk jug or the cups and saucers, I can assure you. Like the best of human beings, he had his faults, but upon these it would be impertinent to touch more than lightly. Peter was partial to Fridays, because Fridays were devoted to cleaning up, If you have ever watched a woman washing the kitchen floor you will have noticed that she completes one patch before she proceeds with the next As if she took pride in each patch regarding it as a picture It was peter's delight to sit and watch this domestic operation and No sooner was the woman's back turned toward a fresh portion of her territory Than Peter ran all over the freshly washed patch and impressed it with the seal of his paws Just as an explorer would indicate a great annexation by a series of flags. That was a mere frolic. It was about this time that I discovered Peter's power as a performing cat. I tied a hare's foot to a piece of string and dangled it before Peter's eyes. I hid the hare's foot in strange places. I flung it downstairs. I threw it upstairs. The hare's foot never failed to attract him. We used to roll on the floor together. We played hide-and-seek together I noticed that he had a habit of lying on his back with his tail out his head back and his paws crossed By degrees I taught him to assume this attitude at the word of command So that when I said die Peter Peter turned on his back and became rigid until he received permission to live again. I also taught him to talk in muse at the word of command I hear some genial critic exclaim that this cannot be true I Decline to argue with any critic that ever lived and repeat fearlessly and in measured terms that Peter talked to me Of course he would not drop into conversation with the first person who bade him good morning But I assert again that Peter and I held many conversations together by means of the mew used with a score of inflections often delicately shaded each of which conveyed its meaning to me peter took to reading too quite easily and sat up with eyeglasses on his nose and a paper between his paws it was as you may well imagine a red letter day with me when peter said his prayers for the first time and i was better pleased when he put his little paws up and lifted his eyes up to the ceiling than with any other of his accomplishments though they were more appreciated by unthinking friends it was all very well to place a mouse at my feet and thus play to the gallery But I felt that Peter's thirst for applause might be his ruin When the summer came and the London pavements began to quake with heat I determined to fly to the country As delights are doubled when shared with those we care for I Determined to take Peter with me so I packed him up in a specially constructed traveling saloon of his own to wit a flannel lined basket Containing all the necessary comforts for the journey such as air holes and feeding bottles and off we started in the highest of spirits Peter found a new world open to him and the thousand and one beauties of the country fascinated us both We were the guests of a burly farmer who lived in a queer old house half timber and half brick with low-ceilinged rooms the general living room was the capacious kitchen which looked mighty picturesque. Oak panels ran halfway up the ceiling. The pots and pans were ranged neatly in an open cupboard, pleasantly suggestive of good fare and plenty of it. There were flowers in red pots in the windows, and my bedroom was a picture of coolness and cleanliness. Amid these pleasant surroundings, Peter soon made himself very happy and became a great friend of a cat called Jack. Who took him under his charge and showed him the ways of the country? Jack was a favorite on the farm he was certainly given to roving and did not always come home to tea As a mouser he had few equals in the countryside and one evening when we were telling stories by the fireside The farmer told me that Jack had dispatched no less than 400 mice from one hayrick Jack was a disciple of Isaac Walton He would crouch on a mossy knoll by the edge of the river and sometimes was successful in capturing a small trout The farmer was himself a great fisherman Jack was a study while the preparations were in progress and all intent would follow close at his master's heels He would crouch among the rushes whilst the tackle was being adjusted and anxiously scan the water as the fly drifted along the surface He took a keen delight in the sport and when the fish was negotiating the bait He always purred loudly in anticipation of the feast in prospect The trout landed and the line recast he would seize his prey and with stealthy gait slink off with his prize Leaving the old farmer to discover his loss when he might Together Jack and Peter roamed over the meadowlands and the poultry run was an object of great interest to them Together they fought the rats and together they would lie in wait for the thrush and the blackbird I'm happy to say in vain The farmer told me that in his youth Jack once took up his residence in the hollow of an old oak where he lived on the furred and feathered game At last he returned home for hours He wandered about his old home fearful of discovery now crouching among the flower beds and now flying in terror at the sound of the hall clock at last he ventured into the kitchen, entering the window and creeping to the kitchen hearth, where he dozed off to the music of the cricket, to be welcomed by another prodigal son. Alas, these delights were cut short, for Peter and I were soon compelled to pack up our traps and proceed to the seaside for professional purposes. Peter was not fond of the sea. When I took him out yachting, he was compelled to call for the steward. And one day, when exploring the rocks at low water, gazing with rapture at his own charming face as it was reflected in the glassy surface of a deep pool, an inquiring young lobster nipped his tail, and the shore rang with piteous calls for help. Peter has never cared for the sea since then, and so deeply was the disaster impressed upon him that I have known him reject a choice bit of meat which happened to have a few grains of salt on it. It wafted him back to the ocean the lobster and the steward What powers of imagination were peters? As these memoirs cover a period of seven or eight years and as space is limited My readers will kindly consent to take a seat on the convenient carpet of the magician and be wafted Gently to the next station on the road without further question This is a pleasant byway in suburban London greatly frequented by organ grinders Travelling Bears German Bounds and Peripatetic White Mice This Road is always associated in my mind with the Mysterious Disappearance of Peter We had often laughed at the odd old lady who lived two doors higher up for the anxiety Which she displayed when any of her pets were missing it was our turn now This same old lady was very fond of her cats and had nine of them at the time I am writing of. every morning when the weather was warm she and her cats would come out and unconsciously form a succession of tableaux for our amusement a rug was spread out under the pear tree in the middle of the tiny lawn a great basket chair was placed in the middle of this rug and these preparations having been made the old lady who was very stout and always wore a monster poke bonnet and a shapeless black silk dress came out followed by her nine cats and took possession of the basket chair A little maid then appeared with a tray, on which were nine little blue china saucers and a jug of milk. The nine little saucers were ranged in a semicircle and filled with milk, whereupon the old lady cried out, Who says breakfast, dearies? Who says breakfast? Breakfast? This invitation was immediately responded to by the nine cats. When they had done, the old lady cried, Who says washy, dearies? Washy! 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 Whereupon the nine cats sat on their haunches and proceeded to make their toilets The requirements of cleanliness having been satisfied and the nine basins having been cleaned away by the little maid The old lady shouted out who says play dearest play 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 Holding out her arms and calling out Dido dums, dido dums, come here dearie when a fine Persian cat jumped on her right shoulder now diddles doddles diddles doddles, and another Persian cat jumped onto her left shoulder. Tootsie wootsie she called once more, and a black cat scrambled up to the crown of the poke bonnet. And one by one they were summoned by some endearing diminutive, until the nine cats had taken possession of every possible coin of vantage, which was offered by the old lady's capacious person. There they sat. Waving their tails to and fro evidently very pleased by their mistress's little attentions Mrs.. Me was not very popular in the neighborhood except with the milkman and the butcher The cat's meat man indeed who supplied various families in our road Positively hated her so I gathered from our servant and had been heard to say sotto voce in unguarded moments Ha ha I'll be revenged It was not unnatural as the cats were fed on mutton cutlets and fresh milk and cats meat was at a discount about 3 weeks before peter disappeared mrs me in the short space of 3 or 4 days had lost no less than 5 cats by a violent death and 5 little graves had been dug marked by 5 little tombstones and the 5 dead cats had been laid in their last resting places by the hands of the old lady herself A Funeral is not generally amusing, but I could not restrain a smile when I saw my eccentric old neighbor follow the remains of her dead pets Which were reverently carried on the tea tray by the little serving-maid the old lady herself leading the way Ringing a muffled peal with the dinner bell the remaining cats bringing up the rear pondering over the fate of their dead comrades It happened that three of these unfortunate victims had been found on my doorstep I felt very angry with the old lady who blamed me for the destruction of her pets Adducing the fact that they were found dying on my doorsteps as proof conclusive One morning I received an anonymous postcard Although it bore the charing cross postmark. I felt sure it came from the old lady it read as follows The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold This was the last straw I felt that as regard the old lady's cats I had behaved in a sympathetic and neighborly spirit I Remembered this postcard because the same afternoon that it came Peter disappeared and I began to fear that he had yielded to the temptation of a poisoned pig's foot which had been found in my garden stripped of its flesh This was a delicacy which Peter had never been able to resist Though why he should have preferred it to the choice foods that were daily piled upon his plate I Cannot for the life of me say we searched the neighborhood in vain and at last I determined to advertise Accordingly I addressed an advertisement to my favorite paper it ran as follows Come back Peter lost Stolen strayed or poisoned a white and black cat called Peter who left his friends at blank on Monday afternoon last Round his neck he wore a blue ribbon with the word Peter embroidered upon it in red silk Before retiring to rest he always says his prayers Dead or alive a reward of two pounds is offered to anyone who will restore him to his mourning friends I Little knew what I was bringing on my devoted head I Had been troubled enough before with dying cats, but now they were all alive Cats were brought to me in baskets, in boxes, in arms. Manx cats, and cats whose tails were missing for other than hereditary reasons. Lame cats, blind cats, cats with one eye, and cats who squinted. Never before had I seen such an extraordinary collection. My whole time was now taken up in interviewing callers with cats. If the boys were bad before, they were a thousand times worse now. Here is one example out of a score. He was a boy known as pop who carried the laundry baskets Have you found your catch yet? No, we haven't did you say it was a yellow one? No, I didn't What did I say hop continued pop triumphantly turning to a one-legged friend who swept a crossing close by? You said pop as it was a tortoise Murmured the bashful hop who had sheltered himself behind pop A tortoise, that's it a tortoise and hop and I's found it sir. We've got it here You're wrong my cat's not a tortoise. I replied bless you. We know that governor just as if we didn't know Peter Ah Peter was a cat as wants a lot of replacing Peter does But me and hop's got a tortoise as, as is a winner governor a heap better nor Peter poor old Peter He's dead and gone be sure of that this is a regular bad road a prize winner, weren't he, Hoppy? They held up the prize winner, who was not a tortoise and was mangy. Look here, my boys, you can take her away now. Be off, quick march. You don't want it, Governor. Just think again. Why, how will you get along without a cat? The mice is horrible in this ear road. Come, Governor. I'll tell you what I'll do. You shall have a bargain," said Pop. I insisted that the tortoise prize winner should be taken away, and the next day I stopped the advertisement and resigned myself to despair a week after peter had disappeared i heard the voice of my friend pop at the door i Say mister i've some news come along and me i think i found him real a Blue ribbon round his neck and says his prayers put on your hat and follow, follow, foller me Mr.. Pop led the way along the road and turned off to the right and we walked up another road until we reached a large house which had been unoccupied for many months The drains were up, and two or three workmen were busy. Pop at once introduced me, as the was was looking for his cat. "'Have you seen a cat with a blue ribbon round his neck?' I asked them, very dubious as to the honesty of Pop's intention. "'Well, such a cat has been here for some days,' replied the workman, to whom I had spoken. "'He used to come when we were getting our bit of dinner, but we never knowed but what it came from next door. You go upstairs to the first floor front, and you'll see a sight.' on the top of the stairs was peter who knew me at once and began to purr and rub himself against my legs in a most affectionate manner as if to appease any outburst of wrath on my part i felt too pleased to be angry and followed peter into the empty room which was littered with paper and rubbish and the remains of forty or fifty mice lay strewn about the floor peter looked up to me as if to say not a bad bag eh master In the corner of the room was a bit of sacking which peter had used as a bed Pop explained to me that he had heard the men talking about the funny cat that came and dined with them every day This conversation induced him to search the house with the happy result that peter was restored to the bosom of his sorrowing family And pop gave up the laundry basket and invested the reward in a small private business of his own Peter and I have had many homes in London and in the country Together we have lived in flats in hotels in farmhouses and in lodgings for single gentlemen In lodgings for single gentlemen we have many strange experiences Which would occupy too much time to relate and I will therefore touch but lightly upon this period of Peter's career Peter being a gentlemanly cat never quarreled with ladies however hard they might be to please And let them gird at him as much as they would For did not that gracious animal when mrs. Nagsby was accusing him of stealing fowls say Did he not arch his bonny back and purr against mrs. Nagsby's ankles and endeavour to appease her? In her softer moods she did sometimes relax and even allowed Peter to sit by her side as she read the paper Peter was held responsible for every article that was lost in mrs. Nagsby's apartments and the amount of money I paid to that good lady for breakage in the course of six months would have furnished a small cottage. Mrs. Nagsby was a widow, and the late lamented Nagsby had supported her by his performances on the euphonium. This instrument was kept in a case in Mrs. Nagsby's little room, which was on the ground floor back and looked on to a series of dingy walls. Mrs. Nagsby used to polish up the euphonium every Saturday morning with a regularity which nothing prevented did it not speak volumes for her affection for the late lamented on one of these Saturdays it happened that a German band stopped at the front door mrs. Nagsby could never resist the seductive power of brass music she rushed upstairs to the first floor front to listen to the performance fate ordained it that mrs. Nagsby should leave the precious euphonium on the floor in her haste to hear the band Fate ordained it also that Peter should come downstairs at this particular moment and wend his way to mrs. Nagsby's parlor Fate also had ordained it that a mouse which lived in a hole behind mrs. Nagsby's easy chair Should issue at this particular moment for a little breadcrumb expedition Mrs. Nagsby was a careful housekeeper and finding no crumbs about the mouse roamed into the silent highway presented by the orifice of the euphonium It was natural enough that peter should follow the mouse Unfortunately peter's progress was stopped the girth of his body being too great to admit him and My door being open I at once rushed to the rescue and found peter with his head in the depths of the euphonium and Making fierce struggles to vacate the position mrs. Nagsby came downstairs and entered her parlor just as I succeeded in extricating peter from the musical instrument Fiercely was I reproached for Peter's escapade and humbly did I make his apologies Little knowing the secret of the plight from which I had rescued him Having soothed my landlady She at length took up the euphonium and proceeded to apply her eye to the main orifice To see if Peter had damaged it handling the euphonium in the manner of a telescope I was thinking of the reproaches in prospect when i was startled by a loud shriek to which the euphonium imparted a metallic vibration and mrs Nagsby dropped the instrument on the floor the good lady herself following it with a thud a wee mouse scuttled across her face disappeared behind the easy-chair and doubtless rejoined his anxious family mrs Nagsby recovered after her maid-of-all-work and i burnt a few sheets of brown paper under her nostrils But I had great difficulty in making the peace In vain I pointed out that the responsibility did not remain with me or even with Peter We agreed after some debate that it was the German band Which was never afterwards patronized by mrs. Nagsby I? Got into further trouble with mrs. Nagsby owing to a greyhound which I had bought at a sale I had no character with him for he had no character if Mrs. Nagsby had killed him with the meat hatchet, I would have held my peace, for never a day passed but King Arthur took his name in vain. The first night I brought him home, Mrs. Nagsby gave me permission as a great favor to chain him to the kitchen table. In the morning, two of the table legs had been mangled, and that is our reason why I called him King Arthur of the Round Table. The next night King Arthur was taken upstairs and attached to the leg of my washstand I Was awakened out of my beauty sleep by a horrible clamor which caused me to think that the house had fallen in I Presumably realized that King Arthur had mistaken the water-jug for a dragon In any case it was smashed to bits and the noise brought mrs. Nagsby to my door in anger I Should be sorry to say what King Arthur cost me in hard cash for breakages and legs of mutton poor peter thou wast a saint when compared with that fiend on four legs the denouement came at last and it arose from king arthur's fondness for the ladies there was nothing remarkable in the appearance of the old lady who was mrs nagby's favourite lodger who had held the rooms above mine for 3 years but the lady had a most beautiful seal-skin jacket trimmed with tails of sable King Arthur had unluckily a feminine affection for furs And I never dared to take him into any of the fashionable thoroughfares as he had a way of following the ladies Not for their own dear sakes, but for the fur which they might happen to be wearing Whether they were only tippets or dyed rabbit skins it did not matter to King Arthur Well one unfortunate afternoon. I was leading my greyhound home A few yards in front of us was mrs. Nagby's first-floor lady Taking the Sun in all the glories of her sealskin jacket and sable tails To my horror I dropped the chain in taking a matchbox out of my pocket And before I could take any steps to prevent him King Arthur was coursing mrs. Nagby's first-floor lodger at his highest rate of speed King Arthur held on his course and literally took the old lady aback and began to tear those choice sable tippets asunder nor was the base creature content to rest at the sable tippets before i reached his victim his mouth was full of sealskin let me pass on merely saying that king arthur was shot that night in the mews at the back of mrs Nagsby's, a victim to his own indiscretions and now i come to the fatal catastrophe Which finally drove me and Peter from the shelter of mrs. Nagsby's roof That lady had a set of false teeth which she was in the habit of depositing on her dressing-table when she went to bed I Had learned this from Sarah when that damsel was in a confidential mood Peter I think I have told you slept in my room one very warm night mrs. Nagsby left her door open and her night light was burning as usual I also slept with my door open, and Peter, being hot like the rest of us, left the room for a stroll and visited Mrs. Nagsby's apartment. Presently, he came back with Mrs. Nagsby's teeth between his own, at least I suppose so, for I found them on the hearth-rug when I awoke. I was greatly amused, though a little puzzled to know how I could replace them after some reflection. I went down to breakfast. Placed the trophy in a saucer and showed it to Sarah, who screamed. Who traitorously ran up and informed her mistress, Mrs. Nagsby. Came down rampant, but of course speechless. I was thankful for this. But the violent woman, after spluttering spasmodically, caught sight of the missing article in the saucer, and, lost to all sense of shame, replaced it in position and poured forth a torrent. Of the most violent abuse. Peter and I left. End of chapter eighteen.